This week on the Found It podcast, we talked to Anishka, who is the founder of the legal tech SaaS platform Resolve. Anishka spotted a number of problems and challenges through her 12 years experience working in the legal space, a sector that's lacked digital transformation, and we discussed how COVID in particular and working from home was impactful for that sector, which just wasn't prepared for remote working. We talk about how a product, which launched its beta two weeks ago, is helping bridge that gap and solve a problem in that space. Welcome to the Found It podcast. So I've been doing a little bit of digging on you. So you um, started your startup, uh, your startup Resolve, uh, which is a legal tech platform, launched two weeks ago, the beta version. So congratulations. And also we were discussing this just before we started, but you recently have got another job as well with Jameson's Legal Tech. Um, yes. Yeah. Pushing out a lot of content as well, which I noticed as well. Um, you are a busy person. So why did you want to start your own business? I guess it was less to do with starting a business and more to do with solving a problem that I identified as a lawyer. Being in legal practice, it was um, just, I suppose, the industry in itself has a long way to go. And there's quite a few problem areas that are quite, you know, not really solved or even untouched, I would say. So um, it was more starting to solve a problem and then it sort of cultivated into an idea. And um, I kept on polishing it until I sort of understood that client engagement was my area of focus in terms of trying to make it more digitized or automated or tech savvy for lawyers who simply don't have the time to do so. And there's no reason why should they should be losing on billable hours because of that. Cool. So your background, then, let's just talk about that. So you worked and you worked and studied in New Zealand and then you came over to the UK. When you say, I mean, the legal industry, it's, it's bizarre. It's quite old fashioned still. Is that a fair thing to say? I think that's an absolutely fair thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why do you think that, you know, we're 20 years in now into everything starting to go into digitization. Why do you think it's taken so long? Like legal tech's been a buzzword that I've heard for a while. Why do you think it's taken so long for them to adopt or start to adopt or, or not adopt, basically? I think part of the reason being just resistance to change. There's a, and and com- being comfortable with old habits, um, not really wanting to try something new. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Quite frankly, if COVID didn't happen, most people wouldn't be looking into digital solutions because that was probably the first time in, in decades when they finally understood we don't have an infrastructure. If we cannot work from home, then we won't be able to serve our clients and we can't bill. So I think that was sort of like a rude awakening that got a lot of people thinking. But I wouldn't say that that's an industry as, as general. I think that the tone has started to change now, which is great. Um, there's more people willing to have conversations about digital technology and transformation and these forward thinking firms. I think it's also got to do with the, the breed of lawyers coming in now. There's more focus about this at law schools. Back in the day when I went to law school, which is not very long ago, I mean, it was just about I don't know, 10 years ago. <laughs> Even then, um, we didn't really have any talk of technology. And I think just the way in which you would practice your day-to-day and being a lawyer was undiscussed. And I mean, you know, you, you just get taught theory, but very little was given to practice, which is quite ironic because legal, it, it is legal practice in the end. You need to know more efficient ways of doing it. And I think we as an industry of lawyers just kind of didn't really catch on quick enough compared to fintech and the finance and insurance guys who, you know, definitely understood that this is a way of creating efficiency, making it a much more well-oiled machine and um, serving clients in the end. So I think that's partly to do with habit, resistance to change. Yeah. Cool. So talk to me about Resolve then. So how, I know you've said you've, you identified a problem uh, that you needed yeah. a, a solution. So talk to me about that journey. When did it start? 
and how long has it taken and, and you obviously launched a beta two weeks ago as well sure yeah um well i think it's been a long enough journey longer than i would have liked to <laughs> forever it to have been that's mainly because i was doing quite a few things at the same time i was doing an mba at the time and um it was a full, sort of part-time program didn't have the entire sort of energy and focus to get the beta launched any sooner other than that there are funding hurdles as well um as you know it's great to have a product and a vision etc but if it's self-funded and partly grant backed there's a couple of limitations in terms of getting anything in anyone's hands in terms of a product i mean it's an idea at that stage so i think my main focus was to deal with client engagement and trying to basically simplify that process and covid was basically a really good time to test that that concept out because most people were having engagements with clients online meetings and very few people were meeting up etc it kind of baffled me then and still does that quite a few lawyers actually take handwritten notes when they meet their clients so the idea of transcription is just not a thing and they actually pay third parties to transcribe for them and like it's by the hour it's potentially cutting into your overheads as well as an overhead into your billables so I, I suppose I kind of understood that there was a gap in the market over there even if you were to go dare I say go with Google transcribe and you know speech to text you would be paying an overhead which is potentially not something that a law firm is used to doing for that reason that right rather higher secretary for that reason as well whose basic job is to write notes but then it's not the necessarily the most efficient way of going about doing it so I started working on the idea I would say maybe three years ago just the seed of it was in my head and then I kept on sort of understanding how to refine it and, and what would be more acceptable as a product because as we know we can make a great product but people may not adopt to it because they're just not used to doing things as such so that's why we use the idea of having zoom integrations teams and various other apis which is already known and already you know kind of has made common names into people's homes and they kind of understand that this is how you link into they click into a link i don't have to learn a new system again. That's part of the reason why most firms, law firms actually do not adopt new technology because the learning curve is just so huge for their staff. So they have to dedicate a practice manager to actually school people how to use a particular piece of technology. And that's, I mean, I can appreciate that as well because a lawyer's sole job is in the end to help a client, but then how do you actually pay yourself? You have to be able to bill at least a couple hours a day. And if you're learning how to build, then that's just not really helping you. That's causing another problem. Yeah, so I just I tried to create a very user-friendly interface, something that's self-explanatory, almost too basic at a point. And then you can start adding features to it as time progresses, as people sort of like catch on. And even if you look at like really experienced companies, their initial phases has been quite simple in terms of a version of a product. An Apple iPhone, for instance, like, you know, if someone was to touch it now and not having touched it at all in the past, they probably would be quite confused of how to use it. So baby steps in terms of educating the user on how to get really well-versed with the technology that you're trying to help them with. Cool. So... You talked about funding, um, self-funded, and you talked about grant funding. How did you find that experience of using that money? What, what did you do in terms of obviously bootstrapping it? And did you use an external provider? I know actually speaking beforehand that you've done some of this stuff yourself. I'd be interested to get into that about the no-code stuff as well, really. Sure, so, sure. I think that's really interesting stuff. 
Sure thing. So basically, my sort of funding started off with myself, as most founders do. Like, I mean, it starts off with you paying for the web page, and then it starts. It does, and it never ends. Really, you keep paying for it. You keep on paying for everything that comes your way. Uh, if you really feel passionate about an idea and a project, of course, like you keep on funding it until it, you know, takes off or or reach, realizes its potential. So I started off with that, and someone told me about an Innovate UK grant, and we said, right, okay, might as well give it a go. I drafted my own application and sort of like, you know, when baby steps towards getting the funding. The no-code transition was essentially because I'm not a techie and I don't necessarily know about how to code. I know different languages, like what their names might be, but that's about it. So no-code is something that was good in terms of our team to understand across the board of uh, what we are trying to achieve in terms of what's in front of you and what's at the back end and what part needs to be changed. So for the sake of transparency, throughout the team in terms of being on the same page with every single thing that we deploy going forward, we transitioned to no code. Also, the market analysis told us that very few lawyers actually wanted to use mobile apps. So we could have an amazing piece of software, which is on a mobile, but essentially if the, if the target client wants a web-based interface, then we're, we're failing to launch at that. So we had to do a quick transition. But yeah, we definitely achieved our goal points with the Innovate UK grant and we got lots of market discovery and we understood the pain points to build a product that's built to last for an industry that we try and solve problems for. Cool. So you've got the beta. Mm-hmm. She's you know been out two weeks. I posted today that sometimes founders, uh, they've got to be a lot of things, resilient, they're, they're dreamers. And it's hard sometimes for them to take criticism. They have that my baby mentality. Yeah. How have you found that process in terms of criticism, people feeding back? How do you take that on? I love criticism. I absolutely love it. I mean, I've I've literally encouraged everyone in a personal note to give me the good, bad and ugly. Emphasis on the bad and ugly, please. I don't need to know what's great with it, what's good with it, because I think if you've read of the book called The Mum Test, your mum's always going to say that's brilliant. You know, like, um, I love this product. It's amazing, etc. I don't want to know what's good with it. I want to know what it doesn't do for you. And um, I'm quite well with taking criticism. I think that's something that my career as a lawyer prepared me to do well. Um, especially if you start off in litigation, you know exactly how to take criticism and not burst into tears every single time a judge says something, right? I think that former career prepared me for this quite well. And there's been some pretty good feedback. And I'm, I'm glad that people are just being quite transparent and saying, you know, I like the fact that it transcribes, for instance, the product that we currently have. I don't see it, you know, like day to day because this needs to be tweaked around or the other or whatever. So I think I love the fact that there's criticism out there because it, it just basically make, helps me to improve the product and make another version and to basically be able to solve the pain point that we initially started off to do, which is capturing lawyer client billable time, productive time, and trying to get the most out of that situation. Because as you know, law firms are unscalable businesses. So the most that you are ever going to get is that client engagement that you will have, will have with your client. Yeah, that's true. So in terms of the transcription, just talk about tech. Sure. How have you found that in terms of the accuracy? Are you, are you using a third party to transcribe that or you, what's the uh, tech around that? So we, we do have our own script. So we decided not to have a third party involved in that part of the deal because uh, the reason being is that it's an overhead. Startups hate overheads. And every single time that we do have an opportunity to cut it down, I, I definitely take it on and make sure that we can do it in-house. So we do have an internal transcript at the moment and um, it's serving us well. It's doing the job just as it should. We are trying to do 
different innovative things with the transcription angle, details of which I cannot disclose right now because we're still in ideation mode, of course, and trying to get a couple of permissions and things to get things over the line. But they are, I think, definitely going the in-house route has been good for us for that, just because it's just something that's in our control. And that's sort of our ESB in that, in that way as well, because mm. the rest of, I mean, Resolve is quite adaptable. And the reason being is that we have a lot of APIs and we have quite a few things that are already known to people. And that was the reason for doing it, not because we don't want to build it ourselves but you know certain things have it's it's a mix basically in terms of what we are creating internally and what we are taking on as APIs and I think there needs to be a mix because otherwise there's no way of actually getting any technology or any piece of technology to market if you are going to do everything in-house so the transcription part that's in-house quite a few other elements not so much okay what does an MVP look like for you that's a question I always ask founders I think you're always at an MVP stage in in my head, because I think once you kind of just transition to product, people kind of see it as the be all and end all. And this is it. When in reality, that's never the case, even with the most, you know, hyper growth companies who have done exceptionally well, you keep on to see them iterating with their product, making different versions, really listening to what the consumers got to say, what the clients got to say, their target market. And I don't think the process ever changes. I just think we call it at various things at various stages. Of course, like right now, we've got an MVP or a beta, whatever you want to call it. I think there's other other people might, might want to call it other things. I mean, there's various stages that, that quote a prototype, they quote an MVP, they quote a beta, et cetera. I think just try and get a product out there try and fail. That's that's just how I've learned to sort of understand my market. And that's the only way really, because otherwise it's just an idea in your head. So once you've put a product out there, you've actually got some solid market feedback, then you can keep on making you know iterations to your product and your MVP can just be refining as you go. Definitely. That's some really good advice. Um, I always, it's a question I get asked, what's an MVP for me? And it's different for everybody, but like, it's a good way of saying it, you know, at the end of the day, it's you're always at an MVP stage because you're always learning and you're always having yeah. to improve. Um, so what's the goal? What is the, what's the end goal? So I think the end goal would be to have it as a household name for most people um, in terms of the legal side of things anyway, the legal tech industry. We did have a rebrand and a bit of a you know pivot in terms of the way that we were going about targeting our market. And the reason for that was that working professionals just seemed like the wider market that we would be targeting. Legal tech is definitely at the core of it because it's one of the industries that is very hyper-intensive in terms of relying on client and, and uh, client lawyer time, client professional time engagement and billables according to that. But the reality is any industry that's got an element of consultancy where you cannot scale up would be our target market. So we've done that in terms of basically re- rebranding ourselves a little bit and trying to understand the needs of the wider market and relaunching for that purpose. So, I mean, all of that has really just come as an insight after we did the R&D from the grant that we received and all of the sort of pivots that we had to consider during that time that, you know, this is a product that can be used not just by lawyers, but potentially accountants, you know, people who are consulting, giving any sort of advice, trying to capture their time and trying to basically consolidate everything on one platform so yeah i suppose the end goal would be to see it in the hands of users at the moment it's in the hands of i suppose beta testers and some users because like we've got a bunch of people that we didn't even approach that we've got on the platform so that's great and there's quite a few people in the industry that we had approached who have you know definitely supported it gotten us up to the point where we've got about 100 beta testers so it's great to see that sort of traction in just about two and a half weeks that's awesome so 
you self-funded, obviously grant-funded. It's always another question in terms of what's next in terms of the plan for that. Are you looking at taking the beta, taking the learnings of that and putting a proposal together to fund or are you wanting to actually generate revenue from that? We're, we're quite flexible in this space. I mean, at the moment, the reason that I would want funding is obviously to develop the product further and grow my team. So really, I think it's more of a chicken and egg situation, a timing sort of thing. Uh, but we did make the beta to a level where, you know, it can be purchased after a month of testing. And I think that's a reasonable route to market for most SaaS platforms that are out there, you know, after a month or so, if you still like it, you can pay for it and support us in our journey going forward. So I wouldn't say that we are, you know, leaning towards either option as a as a must sort of route to market for us. If we do start generating revenue, which we might, that's great. Um, and if we don't, then we potentially would use our sort of like learnings and our beta testers feedback, et cetera, into some solid points of improvement and going forward for further funding to develop a product for the version two, three, four, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Cool. So you've been doing this for three years. Who do you take inspiration from? And and do you have, have you had any mentors? Um, you know, is there any people that you think you take inspiration on that are online? I suppose I've got many mentors. I've been quite blessed in that situation throughout my sort of working life and as being a lawyer. And even when I was, you know, it came to do my MBA, there were quite a few people at law school as well, very early on that, you know, still I keep in touch with. And I think there's like mentors for different reasons in life, right? Like we different stages of your career as well. When I was a lawyer, there was a different sort of mentor that would have, you know, helped me think about a particular situation that I'm considering. Right now, the needs have changed. So there's quite a few other people that you might picked up either at business school or just going to a networking meeting and and whatnot and like you know just bumping in on the road randomly you know like sometimes you just meet people and I do network quite a bit so I'm, I'm very much a believer of the power of networking and just you know using the tools that you've got to constantly create mentors so I don't really have a specific person that I would say is a you know, go-to mentor. I think I've got a network. So I'm pretty blessed like that, that there's a particular type of situation. I find a mentor that's a specialist in that. Yeah, I mean, that's a smart way of doing it. I think I found hearing different voices is good. Uh, or, you know, especially people maybe that have walked that path that you're going to, not specifically in that sector, but, you know, they yeah. they, they face those challenges and, and having different people who've done that as well. Absolutely. It's, it, it's, it always pays. I think it always pays to just, you know, talk to someone who's done something similar before or is, you know, in line with what you're trying to do, has some kind of specialist knowledge. Um, I've always sort of like had the opportunity of meeting the right people at the right time in terms of advice. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I just keep on adding to my network of mentors. So just one last final question. Um, it's been great listening to you and your story. And like there's loads of information there. I think other people find really useful as you continue to grow as well. What's the biggest single advice that you probably give somebody maybe who's starting out or thinking of wanting to start out and be you know, starting a business? I suppose, first of all, no, if you are trying to start a business, be really clear about what you want to achieve and the only way to do that is have your intentions right I mean it's not if it's for money it's not going to work <laughs> just going to say that right there because um, there's way easier ways of earning money <laughs> if you've got like a, a solid business idea do trial and test it in the market try and understand if there's a market for it and if you you know still feel really strongly about it keep going and find build your network as you go keep learning through people's experiences stories someone's everyone's got something to teach you basically yeah definitely consistency as well and just grinding through i think is really important especially when you have bad days as well yeah oh definitely <laughs> like i think i think you just need to be your own personal sort of cheerleader and and have like 
you know, think about the, the things that you've achieved that aren't necessarily tangible, material and obvious. Like they could be just five connections that you've made that might, you know, come in handy in five years time. It doesn't have to be today. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. It could be a decade later. You just never know, right? I think growing your network is the most important thing. And even if you started off on a business idea and didn't quite achieve go as, as planned, I'm sure that the journey that you went on, you met a lot of people that added to your sort of thinking and the way that you transformed. So I take that as the biggest learning and the biggest achievement. Really. Some great advice. Um, thanks for coming on. Um, wish you all the best. Uh, definitely going to be following your journey. Thank you. Cool.